This is Aaron McCallum, singer, songwriter, musician, and band leader, and you're listening to Talkin' Blues. We were talking a little while ago about you working on a new album. Um, yeah. How's that going? Well, it's always something that's in the works. Uh, obviously, uh, since the first time you and I were talking about it, things happened with uh, COVID-19 shutdowns, pandemic, and all of that. So that obviously delayed the idea of getting into the studio and, and putting something together. Um, and so, you know, there's a, still a little bit of collection, you know, restarting things after that. Uh, it's live music is only just starting to get back into its swing of things now. And for all those reasons, it's been a, a hurry up and wait kind of scenario. Um, can I ask you how the COVID-19 pandemic affected you as a musician? Oh, sure. There are, there are so many ways. Uh, well, the first thing that's pretty obvious is that the live music, um, you know, took a, took an immediate hiatus and that's hard I think for any working professional musician because that's that's your meat and potatoes in the sense that that's where you create connections you uh, sell your merchandise you create new fans and you're out there delivering the project and also uh, financially to not perform live uh, it has its own its own burden as well so that's the first thing is that it got shut down and the second thing that happened is there were uh there was an influx of innovators or musicians who are so used to having themselves out there there's a saying in the in the music business that if you're not on fire you're burnt out so people trying to maintain some kind of relevance or presence in the scene a lot of uh, music and presence went digital. So it was good in one respect that it was available. And in another respect, it was really difficult because there were little guidelines in place for things like financial compensation. There, were, there was uh, a whole lot of saturation in the market with, um, you don't headline on Facebook. You're in. You're on equal uh, playing, you know, ground as someone who's a hobbyist, and so that kind of changed the way um, a lot of people were able to put their music out there. So a lot of innovation, but it's still different. Um, how did you handle it personally? How did it affect you? Well, it's really tough to to sit back and, and wait. I'm thankful, obviously, that um, I had the ability to to shut things down and stay safe and all that stuff during the pandemic. Um, but you know, it's it was tough to put an album on hold, and uh, and it's tough as well to not be out there. This is this is kind of what we all know. Um, do you think your writing during that period was influenced a great deal by the pandemic? And I, I, you know, I, I find it interesting because in, in some of the things that I do, there, there's a worry about people just being just sick and tired of the pandemic. 
and therefore people kind of pretending like we shouldn't talk about it or whatever. But as you're going through it, and if you're still writing music, did it shape the way you were writing? Well, as far as content goes, maybe not. As far as inspiration goes, yes, it's possible. You know, part of being a creative writer, at least for me anyway, is being able to draw upon your experience. And in the pandemic, with everything shut down, your experience becomes really uh, focused or limited. And that can affect you, can affect what you see around you, depending on your writing style. So I would say um, with respect to having uh, experience to draw from, yeah, there's a, there was a little bit of an effect there for sure. If we go back, tell me how you first got into music. Well, that's a bit of a... That's a little bit of a loaded question because I think as far back as I can remember, music was something that just was naturally something I gravitated toward, uh, singing or writing. As far as being professional goes, I got the idea when I was in my early teenage years and, uh, you know, I was the kid that had the guitar in my bedroom just hoping to get better. And uh, so I guess officially in the project I'm working in now, I was 23 years old when I said, okay, this is going to be the full-time thing. So it was just a matter of doing it. It happened. It evolved very, uh, very naturally until one day it was like, okay, this is what I do. And so quit your day job. And that's, that's how I got into it as far as being full-time musician goes but I had ambitions when I was I'm gonna fairly say um, in my mid-teens tell, tell me about that ambition tell me what what you had hoped to achieve or what you might have thought it would be compared to what what it is well I think before people know uh, the intimate details of the music business and how it fully operates people see that um, end result of I'm a you know there's always that dream people have of I want to be a rock star and they see a life of fun and music and glamour and it is it is to some degree that um but it's uh it's also a lot of other stuff so getting into it it was really just this idea that I could take my own ideas songs words and put them forward in a way that made other people feel good. So music to me was the vehicle to to uh, communicate that common ground, for for lack of a better word, that or a better way to say it, that common ground, communicating it through music to me seemed like the most natural way to do it. Was it always the blues? Interesting enough, uh, no, I started off listening to rock and roll and uh, I thought that was my thing. In fact, my first bands that I played in, they were rock and roll. But I discovered the little pieces of rock and roll that I love. Oh, what is that? Somebody told me, hey, that's blues. And I thought, oh, all those little cool things? You mean there's songs out there with that all the time? 
So I had to go backwards. Um, I'm, I'm younger compared to a lot of people that have discovered the blues. And so I went backwards to find my, uh, my passion for blues. And uh, I was still too young when I got into it. I was too young to get into the bars. There was a very small amount of time where uh, blues was something that was on the market commercially. As far as my peers go, it wasn't the cool thing to be listening to. So it was almost like that um, thing you had to dig for. And that's how I came to the blues, was just going backwards. Who would have made a real impact on you when, when you discovered the blues? Hmm. Artist-wise? Yeah. It's a really interesting thing because uh, I'm lucky enough because I had to search for it. And there wasn't, back when I was searching for it, there wasn't Google, there wasn't the internet. You could find something cool you could discover on an album, usually covered by a rock and roll band. Uh, but for me, I discovered a lot of it uh, on the scene, live. So it's it's a little interesting. It's full circle because some of the artists that I really came to, you know, come up under in the sense of listening and, and watching and experiencing. They're people that are still on the Canadian blues scene today. Can you give me some examples? Yeah, for sure. The first example I can think of is uh, Gary Kendall. And, and there's a funny, there's almost a funny story about this because it's, it's slightly serendipitous. I went to school, I went to college in my post-secondary education to study uh, news and radio and so when i was in college maybe i was 18 years old i was tasked to do a rockumentary style uh production one hour piece on uh music in canada and being the purist that i had grown to be knowing that the rock and roll came from the blues i wanted to go backwards and you know, really talk about the Toronto scene and everything like that. And I did my research and I came across some information on this band called the Kendall Wall Band. So I was looking it up and looking it up and I see this guy, Gary Kendall, Kendall from the Kendall Wall Band. I go, oh, it looks like there's a contact number for this guy. I think I'm going to call him. And so I cold called Gary when I was 18 years old. And in its own way, he was so nice, and he indulged this random phone call. And, and in its own way, it was influential on its own. I went, okay, this, this is the information I need to learn a little more, to know a little more. This is the stuff you're not going to find at the library or on the radio. There was, like I say, there was no real internet searching back then. So I continued to pay attention to this Gary guy. And um, I used to do my best to sneak out to shows and I was too young to get in. And so I listened from the outside. And many years later, you're playing with Gary sometimes. God, I got to pinch myself sometimes. <laughs> that's right. Well, I, and I, I guess that's the other thing. I mean, when I first started 
researching the blues, Gary had a big role as well. I mean, he, I, he's one of those people who people go to, and he is a very giving person who shares a lot and who opens up doors for you. So um, I, I certainly understand how helpful Gary can be. Yeah, and you know, I've always known Gary to be that. I, I feel very lucky that some of the artists that I just watched from the sidelines as I was quote-unquote coming up in the blues, uh, I feel really lucky. I watched some of the best guys, Gary being one of them, and, uh, you know, to no disappointment, I think a lot of people today who enjoy what Gary does today, they don't really realize that he had a massive influence on the live music scene um, decades ago with his work at the Black Swan and the, the blues matinee and the way that was promoted and the way guests got brought in and there was talent sharing and all of this. And it really helped pave the way when, you know, blues was kind of on the cusp of coming in in a way that was had some sustainability in Toronto. And, and his work at the Silver Dollar as well. Most definitely. And, uh, you know, it continues on today. If I'm t- if I'm going to say things about Gary, I can say he still uses that matinee model in St. Catharines right now. And so it's something that's got some longevity. And still, there's musicians, there are musicians that benefit from that model. So yeah, Gary's, uh, you know, he, he's earned a position as a guy that's uh, created a lot of opportunity through his own, you know, development of ideas, his own work. And uh so I do feel it was uh, lucky to be 18 and come across this, you know, guy that I cold called. And um, it turned out to be a, a kind of a good thing for me. At the moment where you decide I want to become a musician and become professional, how, does, how did you go about achieving that? Well, I feel like my story is probably not that different from a lot of artists where you're in a band, you get as many gigs as possible. Uh, maybe you get some traction and you say to yourself, well, I either have to make a decision on how I'm going to spend my time or I'm going to make a decision to push it in a serious way so that it is what I do. And, and that's what I did. Uh, I, was, I was with a band, actually it was this band that I play in now, uh, myself and the other founding member at the time decided, hey, we're going to do this full time. And so we did. So you make some other serious decisions like uh, we're going to put out an album. We're going to uh, promote it and we are going to get boots on the ground and start putting it out there and playing gigs. And so that's what we did. Um. Was there a course of action? Like, I, I mean, I, I know you wanted to get as many gigs as possible and you wanted to try to sell the album, but w- was there like a, a plan, of, um, a five-year plan, milestones that you wanted to achieve? Well, at the time, it was really, um, eventually, yeah, but at the time, it was really just uh, the reckless of abandon of wanting to play really good music and be enjoyed and get out there as much as possible. It wasn't until after um, we started to see some traction with that, that we said, okay, we can't just keep doing 
what we've been doing, you know, if you're not on fire, you're burnt out, uh, we need to put some sort of action to this so that there's constantly a beginning, a middle, and an end to the goal. Uh, and, uh, you know, on the back of that comes things like promotion, publicist, press photos, and it sort of it sort of does it for itself in a way because the second you get a, a good festival booking, those talent buyers, the artistic direction and everything, they start asking you for a promo shot. And you go, oh, I guess I better do that. <laughs> and that's how it works. I mean, my first festival gig with this band actually came from um, Rico Ferrara. And uh, he was running the Distillery District Blues Festival back then. And I got the job also in a very interesting way. Uh, we The band had recorded like a five-song EP. And I had an old college friend of mine who was working in the same office as him. And I kept convincing her to put it to the top of the pile. And uh, eventually, uh, Rico heard this five-song disc, and uh, he thought, well, anybody who's got the, you know, the cojones to record these songs, yeah, I'm going to give them a chance. So that's kind of how it happens. You just dig naturally, I think. And then the responsibilities of it come from there. I know a number of years ago you discovered that you had MS. Um, how did that? How did you discover that? How does that happen? Because this happened at a very young age, correct? Yeah, I was 24 years old when I got diagnosed with MS, and I was diagnosed in a in a rapid re relapse, which means that it went. It was an obvious relapse there were obvious symptoms and that landed me in the hospital um so that was uh i went from my work boots to the hospital that was it uh so you know it was something where my life changed overnight at 24 years old and so yeah that was 18 years ago so when it happened did you know ahead of time that you had ms or you only found out when you went through this I only found out when I went through it. In fact, I was in uh, I was in the hospital for days and days and days before I was given a diagnosis. Uh, so it went from not knowing to dealing with it directly. And not knowing also meant that you didn't know if you could walk again. That's right. I couldn't walk. Uh, I didn't have use of my hands. And at that time, I was also blind. Wow. Yeah, so I still can't feel my hands, just so you know. I still can't feel them. Uh, and luckily, I've got my vision back and all that. But yeah, it went from literally working in work boots to that. So it was, uh, it was quite sudden. And I know your mom played a huge role in your recovery. But what? how long did, did recovery take? And there was no guarantee that recovery wasn't even an option, correct? Well, that's right. As a matter of fact, uh, when I did get that diagnosis all those years ago, uh, my mother signed me out of uh, hospital care. And, uh, and me still having gumption of some sort or not fully registering the, the uh, seriousness of the diagnosis, I, I told the doctors that 
I would walk into my follow-up appointment, which was in a couple months, and, uh, and they laughed at me. And they said, well, it's always good to keep hope. And, but for some, for some reason, yeah, my mom signed me out into her care for months and, uh, and let me believe it. So, yeah, she, she raised me twice. What did that take for you to get back to walking again? How long did it take? Well, it's a slow process. Uh, it was months. It was months and months. And uh, kind of like a baby deer. Like, you don't go from not walking to walking. And I can remember, I don't know if I just didn't register it or if uh, people were just being nice to me or whatever. But I can remember the... Uh, original guitar player in the band, uh, a founding member, Brian Harrison, would come and pick me up at my mother's house, and he would pick my legs up and put them in his vehicle and take me to a rehearsal. So I don't know if it was just sheer, I don't know what to say. Um, I just didn't have a grasp, maybe, of that, or if, uh, or if it was sheer determination. I don't know. But it was not a quick process at all. And, and how do you keep yourself positive when you go through something like that? Well, I think it's really easy when you... Okay, I'll get deep on you here, Marco. I'll get deep. When you are so aware about the fragility of life or what can be taken or what you have, you get straight with things really quickly. And so today I say, look, you and I are having a conversation today. I can see you on a video today. Um, you know, those are things that's just, I never did, but I never should take for granted. So what, what is within my purview today? How can I make a difference today? How do I, you know, how am I going to show up for today? I think it's something that's a lot more obvious when you've stared down the barrel of having it all taken. At what point did you feel, because I know it's an ongoing process, but at what point did you feel better? I got to say, uh, that's the thing. It's Any day can be different. Like, um, for example, one of my symptoms, and everybody who has MS, it's a very individualized, you know, disease. But one of my things is I cannot regulate my body temperature. So if it's really hot outside, I'm not going to have fun with that. <laughs> so it's, it's, you know, you kind of learn what is good, what is not, what you can handle, what you cannot. That was a harder process for me than digesting a diagnosis, to be honest. It took me a long time to get it through, you know, the, in my mind that the reality was I have to start deciding what what works best and what doesn't. My mind was full on, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to roll with everybody at the same time, at the same speed as I always did. And it took me years to try and figure out what works best with what I've got. So, you know, I never at any point had a mindset that was, you know, defeating in any way. It was always, how? How am I going to do this? So maybe that's something that keeps the mind, my mind anyway, in a, in a positive place. 
I know you're a very versatile player. You play the bass and the guitar. You play the harmonica. I presume that was all taken away from you when this happened. What was it like to relearn those instruments? One of the most frustrating times in my whole life was tr going a lifetime of playing the guitar. And I was, I was sort of decent at it. I was never virtuous, but decent to not being able to even hold one. That was hard. And that was years and years and years of literally picking my fingers up with one hand and putting them on the fretboard where they were supposed to go and they wouldn't stay. I still am not ever going to have the function that I once did, but that I would say was one of the most trying things of my entire diagnosis was uh, just to have that taken. It's such a voice of who you are. Um, how did it affect your voice? I am so lucky. I've had no effect on my on my vocals or anything like that. So lucky because, like I say, it's very individualized for people. And there are people that, you know, have that as a symptom. Touch wood, lucky, I don't have that issue. It's an amazing thing to come out of and to obviously it's something that you still deal with on a daily basis. Um other than, I mean, I guess the fact that you said that you deal with everything as today and what you can do. Are, are there anything else that, in a way, has changed you? No, I like. I feel like I'm a lucky person in the sense that it didn't take a big upheaval like that. And it's a big upheaval. But I've always been somebody who's been positive in a moment, aware of time thankful for what's in front of me. I don't know what it is. I'm just very lucky that way. So uh, I I just feel like there's there's nothing other than that's just the way I am, be it MS or, or a, a goal within the music business or trying to learn something new or figuring something out. I've just always been like that where it's like, how do I do it? And, and um, there's really no time to be frustrated or upset with that when that's your true focus is, okay, how am I going to do that? So, you know, it's not, it's not something, don't get me wrong, it's, it's definitely an impact on life, uh, but it's more of something I have and not something that has me, if that makes sense. So navigating it is just a matter of, well, how's this going to look tomorrow, you know? I mean, that's that's very impressive. Because I know, I think I know how I would react on something like that. And did, was there ever a point where you felt like you're giving up or that you felt really down about it? Or would you Honestly, just not let yourself go that way? Honestly, and and again, I mean, who knows what tomorrow brings? Who knows? I have the blessing that I've, I'm so thankful. I've, I've got a very supportive group of people around me that no matter how crazy it looks, <laughs> or no, especially in music, no matter how crazy it looks or how 
risky it might look to, you know, put the eggs in one basket, I have had just support. And for that reason, no, how could I be upset? How, how could I be? You know, part of it is knowing as long as you know that you have the tools to figure it out. Now, I, I can't think of a time where I've been super frustrated. Again, you never know what tomorrow brings. But I've been so lucky that I've always had a way to work around or navigate or have somebody who's blindly supportive, you know. So, I mean, the band, the band in early days, I think I might have accepted the fact that that was it for me, that it wasn't something I could think about doing with music. It's pretty physically aggressive to be out touring. If it wasn't for Brian Harrison coming and picking me up and putting my legs in his truck and taking me there and just enabling that to happen, I might have just accepted the fact that, okay, this is not something I do anymore. So there's something to that too. Yeah, but I, I it, it sounds like that's not in you, that you have the drive and you have the, the positive forethought to continue going. I hope it's always there, honest. Well, it, it's it's quite impressive and, and good for you. And I, I presume that it's not easy at times, but the fact that you have such a great attitude is, is really impressive. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, sometimes it's you don't have the answers right away on how you're going to work around it, but they come. One way or another, they come. Do you think that's affected the way, the, the type of musician you are? Yeah, perhaps. I mean, perhaps both logistically and, you know, from a standpoint of motivation, inspiration, or whatever you want to say. I mean, you know, logistically, I don't drive. <laughs> I don't drive. <laughs> so, you know, yes, I have to choose. And it's not really a dramatic thing to say at this point, uh, I really find it important to love the players I play with and to uh, value the gigs that I take or the shows that I work on or the musicians I work with. That's very important to me. You know, there was a time where without judgment at all, because it's, it's the natural way to do it. Usually what happens is if you have um, a gig, you take the gig. And that's the way it is. <laughs> you go to the gig. I'm a little more selective on these things because it has to be meaningful in it, like in a different way to me. I don't mean just with my health. It's, it is a factor, it is a factor. Um, but, you know, it's, it just has to have a different meaning to me. I want to move people. I want to communicate with people. And I want to do it on stage uh, with people who... Um, who I love playing with. You've also done other things. Like, I know a couple of years ago, you promoted your own show, or not your own show, but you promoted a, um, a blues series at the Gibson Center. Um, in addition to that, I know that you write for the Sound Cafe. Tell me yeah. about that portion of the business, why, why you found it necessary to put on shows, which is always a risk, um, and also why you decided to write. Yeah, okay. Well, so with respect to the Blue Series uh, that happened at the Gibson Center, um, 
after the pandemic or because of the pandemic, there were so many of us in the Canadian Blues Collective that we got sidelined. And so I, out of an act of, you know, uh, whatever, solidarity to some degree, I wanted to create an opportunity for not only artists to come and, and get back to playing, but also to create an event and produce an event that, um, that did the right thing for the music. So that was the Gibson Center. And it was a it was a small team, but it was a good team, and um, and it went well. It's a it's a labor of love. It was a lot of work, but it it went off well. And so that was the principle behind that was just let's get back on our feet. Let's do something good for the music. Let's create a space for full time uh, performing musicians to to have a gig. And so that's how that came about. And uh, with respect to the writing, you know, by, by, by education, I'm a trained journalist. And, uh, and I'm a writer, too. And I thought, you know, it's another way to give back to the Blues Collective to start spreading the word about fellow artists who are out there doing it, too, making a difference, I did uh I did a lot of uh writing for the Toronto Blue Society uh profiling a lot of artists there as well using that journalistic kind of platform where that article was called notes and quotes so that little point of difference was to offer the musicians words within that feature and that was just a different point of difference that I thought would serve the artist well and when an opportunity came up with the Sound Cafe, the thing I really loved about that idea was that there were no parameters. It was, Aaron, you have no limits. You write about what you think is right, and I thought, okay, this is a great opportunity to start really using that investigative, journalistic, you know, thing skill that you have, look past the promo and the bio and look past that portion of the the music business where if you're not on fire, you're burnt out. Look past it and start giving voice to some of these artists who this is their life's work. And it's it's ho it's a space, I believe, it's a space where fans and interested people in the music can learn something beyond an introduction. So that's that's why I do it. And what does it do for you as the artist, both of those things that you were involved in? Well, I mean, the, what does it do for me as an artist? Uh, not much as an artist, but as somebody who's a member of the Blues Collective, I think that if we as members of this collective can nurture it and support it, um, it's a good thing for the health of the industry. So it's definitely something that's um, more altruistic than beneficial. It's, you know, it's a lot of time, but I do believe it's the right thing to do for the, you know, state of, or the health of 
the Canadian Blues Collective? Um, having gone through the pandemic and, and the world being at such a different place, how do you view the scene right now? Well, as far as the live scene is, is concerned, it's only just starting to get back on its feet. And there are, obviously, sadly, there are some uh, live events that just couldn't sustain. Um, there are uh, some things that are done differently now. Um, and, yeah, ultimately, there will likely be some things that look different. But there are also some things that are recovering. I think a lot of people who enjoy the live music are ready and happy to get back to it. So in one way, it's it's getting nourished. And in another way, uh, there are things that are different with respect to how it's getting put forward. Um, and a couple of other things have happened that are, are ultimately, I think, relatively positive. One of the things that happened in the midst of the pandemic, because everybody was going turning to online for their presence in the business, um, there are now uh, things in place that help artists get uh, paid for online viewing, streaming, and um, and other digital platforms, which I think is was a necessary. Uh, call to action um it's unfortunate there was a pandemic that had to happen for that to sort of you know take shape or get some momentum but i do think that's something that will ultimately be uh beneficial to artists but do you worry like like cd sales and i've asked a few musicians about this cd sales have kind of disappeared and so you know we were talking in the beginning about working on a new cd does it make you think twice about what goes into a CD, the amount of money that goes into it, or or how you approach creating more new music? Yeah, I think artists have to think about what they want to get out of uh, a new release because it does look a lot different today. It's CD sales have been in decline for a long time, since before the pandemic, uh, the days of going to uh, uh, a live performance, even main stage, even headlining, and selling tons and tons and tons of albums is not the same. Uh, CD sales, yeah, they're they're different. I mean, you can't even buy a car with a CD player anymore. So there's a lot of uh, growing that has to happen. Uh, there are a lot of artists that have moved into the idea of instead of uh, releasing a full album as one piece, uh, there's singles are dropping like crazy. Um, digital marketing has changed a lot of things. People are looking for uh, purchase of singles as opposed to albums. I see less and less uh, concept albums. So the way it gets put forward is certainly different. That's something that's been happening for a long time. Um, that potentially took some, you know, added to a snowball effect, let's say, with the pandemic. But it's been going that way for a long time. And I think artists need to uh, make really sure what they want out of putting out an album. It used to be 
you record an album, you go on tour to support that album, you get your money back on tour. That was at one time a very standard um, philosophy. And again, to stay on fire so you don't get burnt out. Now, uh, some people consider, I'm going to make a new recording so that I can be on the radio and that radio coverage will get me gigs. The gigs will get me money. Or there are people who think, I need a strong media presence so that I can get views. Because if I get views, I can get a, an endorsement. Like it, it's very individualized. Um, what people want to get out of it versus what um, versus what they can just strictly return with dollar for dollar value anymore. So it's how different. do you, as an artist, look at things differently? And what what do you what's your thought process behind doing your new recording? Well, in my specific case, there are a few things. There are a few reasons to put out uh, some new material. I'm more of, let's say, an established act. I'm not new, uh, but I have new material, and I have a different band. It's a, it would be a more accurate uh, account of what people would get at a live show. Um, it's current. It can help you get work. There's all kinds of reasons. Plus, you know, there is also the um, there's also the personal element of it to say, you know, I still have more to say. <laughs> I still have other things I want to say through through music. So, you know, all of those things kind of come into effect. And, and it's really hard to continue working if you're not showing that you're continually working. Part of that is your product and, and material. So your approach to recording a new album doesn't change? No, I mean, I've had, I'm lucky. I've had always a very similar intention from before I even became full-time um, to today. It's just how you go about it has to be smart enough to continue doing what you're doing. So, yeah, I feel like I'm, uh, I'm one of those artists that, Yes, you need to be able to put food on your table to continue doing it. Uh, but I feel like it's, as far as the uh, pandemic is concerned, it's very little of the intention is different for me on why I would release an album. Can I ask you what else you're working on these days? Well, uh, in addition to just writing and playing gigs and stuff like that, uh, what else am I doing? I'm looking at always ways to uh, nurture the Blues Collective. This is what I do, so might as well make some good good use of that time. So, you know, I'm constantly looking at and engaging in ways to uh, participate in the blues community uh, so long as it benefits that. Um, so, you know, there's headings, there's music, and there's usually just writing, uh, whether it's articles or um, I've done a lot of press bios and stuff like that. As long as it's invested and I have the skills, uh, I'm, I'm usually pretty happy to, to dig in. My final question, 
Do you have goals at this point in your career? Oh, yeah. Yes. Can you share them with me? Sure. I mean, the main goal, I think, of any musician is to continue to do what they love. I want to put out good music. I want to put out good music. I want to nurture the blues collective with what I can do. And I also love the idea of creating opportunity for the people who uh, who work alongside me. And I think that's going to be an, always an ongoing goal to just continue to move people and continue to create opportunity for, for people that, you know, are in my purview who work with me. Well said. Aaron, thank you so much for taking this time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Marcos. Good to have a conversation.